have a long day with the servants meeting and uh, football. Some people are doing football things. So um, I'm going to get started just for the sake of time. Um, and I'm also going to set a little timer. All right. So we'll get started and then people can come in as they may. It's good to see you all today. I was telling Peter, I think I'm too short for this podium, so I need like a, so I'm gonna stand on the side. <laughs> so, um, I think, can you all hear me okay with this? I think this is okay. Oh, no, I don't. Oh, sure. Hello. Is that okay? Can everybody hear me? All right. I think I've shared with many of you before that I'm, uh, I'm not a, a podium fan, so I would much rather just sit with you all and have a conversation, but this is our setup, so I'm going to do my best. So thank you for your patience. Um, so uh, today I am going to be talking about um, mindful prayer. Um, so really thinking about um, this concept of mindfulness and what it means for us in our prayer life. Um, I've also shared before that um, a lot of, uh, a little bit of my story that my um, just educational journey, training as a psychologist um, has been really uh, instrumental in my spiritual growth in sort of a non-conventional way. Um, I sort of left the church for a while kind of pursued my studies, did a lot of, um, for lack of a better term, like secular inner work, right? Things like, again, my education, things like therapy, things like mindfulness practice. Um, and I slowly sort of found myself, should I hold it? Okay. Um, I found myself, um, the deeper I got into that work, uh, found myself, um, realizing that there was something missing, right? That it wasn't quite enough and um, was able to rediscover my faith as part of that journey. Um, and mindfulness practices, meditation, these are all words that you've all probably heard by now, maybe don't understand, maybe some of you do. Um, that has been a really big part of my journey um, a funny story, I was introduced to mindfulness in one of my first graduate classes. Um, it was, ironically, it was a behavior modification class. And my professor in that class um, had us all lie down on the floor in the middle of a graduate school classroom, right? Um, and we went through a meditation practice called a body scan, where you basically kind of bring your attention to different parts of your body and, and practice breathing. Um, and it was, I had never done anything like that before, um, but it really intrigued me um, because I felt a, a type of peace and something that I had been missing. And this was also a time in my life where I wasn't really connected to the church. Um, I had sort of left for a while to forge my own path. Um, and I was really uh, drawn to mindfulness. It, it 
it, it met something. It met a need that I had that I don't think I realized I had at the time. Um, so I really went all in from kind of a learning perspective. I um, took more meditation classes. I went on silent meditation retreats. Um, and I really dived into the kind of intellectual understanding of, of mindfulness practice. Um, and again, as I have gone further in my uh, spiritual journey, um, I started to learn that, you know, mindfulness um, really from our faith and our, our perspective as Orthodox Christians um, is, is potentially a vehicle for prayer um, and in many ways understanding prayer as a type of meditation, right? That's just guided by a specific meaning. Um, so today I'm going to just share some of what I've learned with you today. I think mindfulness and meditation has really helped me understand kind of the how behind prayer. Like, how do we pray, right? What are some things that can prepare us for prayer, that can help us with that? So I'm going to share a little bit um, about that with you, um, and especially understanding the struggle of prayer, right? Um, so, um, so I'm just going to share some of this uh, about my unique journey may resonate with some of you, um, you know, especially some of the young people who are learning about all of this stuff in their schools and their workplaces and are like, is this okay for me to do? Is this like, uh, you know, sacrilegious, right? So um, I want to kind of shed a little bit of light on that, um, which I think is especially important today in this day and age, right, where distractions and, um, things that vie for our attention are at an all-time high, right? Um, <clears throat> so we'll talk a little bit about that. Before we do, um, I just want you to take a moment to just pause and reflect on some of the things that you have struggled with um, or how, how you learned how to pray in your life, either as a child, as a, an adult, how you're still learning how to pray. Um, and also, what are some struggles that you face in your personal prayer practice? So I'll give you just a moment to think about this for yourself. Um, and then hopefully we'll have time at the end for some sharing. So just take a moment to think about that. And I will share that um, for me, uh, one of the, the biggest, well, I'll, I'll first share that I don't actually remember learning how to pray, right? As a kid and growing up, I remember learning the importance of prayer, right? I remember getting a lot of instruction to pray, um, but I don't ever really remember, besides kind of the, the rituals and traditions that we do in communal prayer and liturgies and, um, you know, and some of the, you know, um, obviously like reading prayers, right? Reading Igbeya, those um, but in terms of like how to pray in a deep way, um, I don't remember learning that. And it's not necessarily true that no one ever tried to teach me. It just register for me for whatever reason. Um, and to be fair, I'm the type of person that needs to learn something in many different ways before it sinks in. Um, and so that could just be a reflection of my own learning needs and style. Um, but I don't really remember really early on. Um, and also in terms of struggle, probably similar to some of the ones you've all thought about, right? 
um, maintaining our attention, right? Consistency, um, you know, being able to like a little bit, even of what Abuna was talking today, right? Like sacrificing our time and energy and attention into prayer, right? We know it's important, but that sort of follow through um, can be really difficult. Um, and I do think it's important to distinguish between kind of our personal prayer practice um, and communal prayer practice, right? Which are both really important to our journeys. Um, uh, and uh, today we're gonna be really focusing on the personal piece, but just thinking about those two as, as connected. Um, <clears throat> so before we go into it, I wanna just spend just a couple of, minutes talking about what mindfulness is, because some of you might be familiar, um, more familiar than others. I'm not going to spend a lot of time on this because there are endless resources to learn about this if you're interested. Um, I know in the last couple years, Netflix has put out several series about mindfulness that are very scientific-based, very educational, kind of helps people learn how to practice. There's really no shortage of resources out there, but I want to just take a few minutes to um, just define it for us so we at least kind of know what I'm talking about. So mindfulness means paying attention in a particular way, on purpose, in the present moment, and non-judgmentally. Okay, um, what's important to know about mindfulness, and I think this is where um, sometimes, you know, people, especially, um, you know, Orthodox um, or any type of Christians tend to uh, be a little kind of paranoid or fearful of things like mindfulness is because the truth is, is that mindfulness practices are derived from ancient Eastern traditions like Buddhism and Taoism, right, which are, um, that really date back even to before Christ, right, um, in, in India for Buddhism, in China for Taoism, and um, meditation, mindfulness practices are very core to those traditions and to those, um, those philosophies. And so um, in the, uh, I want to say, 90s, maybe a little earlier than that, there was a, a scientist and a meditation teacher. His name was John Kabat-Zinn, and he had been studying mindfulness in the East for a long time, and he really wanted to find a way to bring mindfulness practices to the West because he saw the impact, he experienced the impact of mindfulness practices on his own mental health, on, on his own physical health, and he was really interested in saying, how can we bring these practices to the West. And so he was sort of a pioneer in thinking about how can we sort of secularize mindfulness practice so it doesn't have to be tied to these like, you know, uh, kind of spiritual traditions. Um, and maybe we can benefit from that here in the, in the West, right? Um, as like a health practice. Um, so he uh, really pioneered that. He um, developed um, different types of, uh, you know, therapies, interventions that were really uh, built around mindfulness um, and, again, kind of took the core pieces of these ancient practices that he had been learning about um, and, and brought them into the mainstream, right? Well, since then, <laughs> um, you know, there, uh, it has really gained a lot of attention 
in our society. And part of that is because people have been researching mindfulness and the effects on the brain and the body, right, and the health. And, um, and the outcomes have been pretty remarkable, right? And in a time and place where the collective mental and physical health of our world, and especially of our you know, country, has, um, is so bad, um, this offered sort of a, a, a non-invasive path, right? And when I say non-invasive, meaning like it doesn't require medication, right? It doesn't necessarily require, you know, insurance, right? You can learn how to do these practices and use them on your own. Um, and so mindfulness is sort of becoming almost akin to physical exercise, but for our minds, right? And for our, our kind of mental health. Um, Again, there are so many resources if you're interested in learning about, I think the, the, um, the Netflix uh, um, docu-series on these are very good and, and really informative. Um, but the more I learned about these practices and, and um, their roots, um, I wasn't surprised when I learned that a lot of Christians who have been disenfranchised from the church for a variety of reasons, right? Like from institutions, from the institutions or people that they maybe have felt, um, you know, haven't served them. I wasn't surprised to learn that a lot of Christians actually, you know, if they leave the church, they maybe find their way into uh, mindfulness meditation-based spiritual practices, right? You hear a lot of people say, well, I'm not religious, but I'm spiritual, right? Oftentimes they're talking about adopting practices like this. Um, and the reason I wasn't surprised is because I know that when I was not super connected to the church that I was really drawn to them. And part of it is because it has a lot of whispers of our faith traditions and our spiritual practices, right? Um, and, and for a lot of people, again, who have been disenfranchised for, from church for a lot of different reasons, um, there is sort of a simplicity to these kinds of practices that can help them access maybe what they need in those moments. <clears throat> so, um, but I, I was interested in learning more, right? I, again, I'm, I, I'm one of those people that has to unpack something <laughs> a million different ways and then piece it back together in order for me to understand it. Um, so I'm kind of walking you through that, uh, you know, convoluted thought process. Um, and so, um, Again, at the core of mindfulness is learning how to be present and aware in everything we do, right? Which we know is really key to prayer, right? Um, you know, when we pray in a way that um, is how we live other parts of our life, which is sort of on autopilot, right? How much do we actually get out of prayer, right? And, and what's really interesting, and we'll talk a little bit more about this, um, but when you see these kind of definitions, you see a lot of um, ambiguity in some of these definitions, right? So, for example, mindfulness means paying attention in a particular way. Well, what particular way? What are we filling our attention with, right? And so, at some point along this process, it really clicked to me right? Something clicked in my brain that I was like, yes, all of this research is showing us how beneficial this is, right? But these ancient practices have been part of our faith and our tradition since the beginning, 
right? Um, and so again, for some, for some of us, like myself, um, being able to understand that uh, and, and, and how that works on a sort of scientific level can be really helpful, right? And also really understanding that when, we, when our goal is to be in the present moment, what is that for? Like what present moment are we looking to be in, right? And when we think about our goals in prayer, the present moment is to be with God, right? God is in every moment, right? Um, so, uh, oops. Um, so I, again, I'm not going to go into this much because there's way too many resources out there um, that you can that you can look into that will explain it much better than me. Um, but there has been tons of research on this, right? And mindfulness practices can look many different ways. So in terms of like what are we paying attention to, a lot of the most common mindfulness practices will ask you to kind of pay attention to your breath, right? Like focus on your breath. Um, you, you might be focusing on a sound. Um, there's like bells or mindfulness music. Uh, maybe a visual image. So there's a lot of visualization types of mindfulness practices. Um, it could be a certain topic. Um, one of the most beautiful meditations I've ever experienced is called a loving kindness meditation. And the first time I went through that, it sort of leads you through um, sort of sending loving kindness to yourself first. So may I be well, may I be happy, may I be at peace. And then it prompts you to think of someone that you really love and then say, may that person be well, may they be happy, may they be at peace. And then it prompts you to think of someone who you really, really don't want to give love to. <laughs> yeah, right? And then it prompts you to send that person or that group of people loving kindness, right? And when I first went through that medication, meditation, I was like, I'm praying for people right now, right? Like there were just these moments where it really clicked. And not only am I praying for someone, but I'm praying for my enemy, right? And so again, the more I kept seeing these things click, the more I realized that God was talking to me in different ways, right? God was talking to me and communicating with me in different ways at different points in my life that... Um, that kept sort of like nudging me back to him, right? Um, and, and he, in a very patient and loving and understanding way, right? Like God understands my brain is the way he understands all of, all of our brains and the way that we learn and think. Um, and he gives us opportunities to find him um, in whatever ways we need to see that, right? So, um, so that's, uh, so those are some examples. Again, another type of meditation um, is called like mantra meditation. And um, this is a lot more in like Buddhist practices where there is like a, a, some kind of a mantra, usually in Sanskrit, that people will kind of say over and over and that's what you focus your attention on. And I remember the first time I was introduced to that, I felt really like, oof, that doesn't feel congruent with what I need right now, right? I get it, but that doesn't feel like what I need. And again, that was another moment for me that mantra meditation is great, but what are we repeating over and over again, right? Am I going to repeat a Sanskrit saying that I don't understand or that doesn't align with my faith? Or can I fill that with some other type of 
prayer, right, or verse, or the Jesus prayer, whatever it is, right? And so again, recognizing the value of these practices, but also connecting it to, um, to, to our meaning and our why. Um, and so in these, in these uh, uh, studies that they've done, they even, as you can see here on the right, they've even done brainwave studies on Tibetan monks. And it's really, really interesting, um, because we're talking again about, you know, monks who spend the hour, like their whole, that's like their, it's like their job to meditate, right? Um, and the outcomes are, uh, the results are really remarkable. I mean, the one study kind of showed that the, um, the uh, brain circuitry or the, the brain waves, um, the gamma waves specifically, um, while they were meditating, and they did a, a few different types, one was like even a compassion meditation, the activity in their brains was almost similar to someone experiencing a seizure. But he just wasn't moving, he was just meditating. So he was able to sort of generate this really intense brain activity um, just by sitting there and meditating. Um, and, and those gamma waves are really important because they have to do with like our memory, our perception, our emotions, um, and, all, and, and all kinds of different things, right? Um, Self-regulation, all of those. Um, so again, the more, if you're interested, there's a lot out there. But really the focus of a lot of this research has been on alleviating, um, you know, uh, the suffering in the mind and body, right? We all know that suffering is just like part of this life. Right? I feel like we've all kind of accepted that reality, right? Um, but a lot of the goal and the, the thought process behind how do we study this and, um, and find ways to adapt it in a way to alleviate suffering, so much of the focus is, this, is the suffering on, on this mind, this body, on this earth, right? Um, and that's helpful, right? Because we're here and we need to survive. Um, but is it enough for us? Is that our goal? Is our goal just to make this life as bearable as possible, right, until, until it's gone? Um, is it just about tolerating this world, right, or the inevitable suffering in this world, or is there more? Um, and I would say again, um, when we can understand these processes and these ideas through the lens of our faith, then our why, of why we do things, um, can really guide anything that we do, or any, anything we do for our minds and bodies. Um, so when I learned this, or some, I don't remember where I heard this, um, and I know Mary a few weeks ago had uh, talked about something a little different, but along the same lines. Um, but as I've been trying to sort through all of this for me, this quote of science explains the how and our faith explains the why um, has, has, be, has been really helpful for me, right? Because understanding the science behind our spiritual practices does not have to compete or contradict our why, right? Um, because it can help us, uh, again, just feel motivated, right? To, to, uh, to follow through on these practices that we know are really helpful. And when we think about our why, right? Um, again, in, in our faith and in our tradition, it's again, it's striving to be in the image and likeness of God, right? And, and the kingdom of heaven. And so um, 
when I was able to sort of shift focus on how I related to and understood mindfulness practices, um, it was really transformative for me. And again, the science part um, only helped me get there, right? Um, and um, there's, there's a really interesting uh, book by uh, an Eastern Orthodox bishop named um, Hero Monk uh, Damaski, and I have the book if anyone's interested in looking at it. Um, it's called uh, Christ the Eternal Tao. And, um, and it's very fascinating because he essentially uh, kind of unpacks a lot of this connection between ancient Eastern traditions and our modern day Christianity. Um, and sort of makes the case that back before Christ um, came to this earth, um, there were prophets in the East who identified, uh, you know, the, the, um, the divine in the way that we understand Christ. Um, and, but it was never complete because Christ had not, um, he had not sort of come to give us the clear path and the clear answer. And so a lot of, again, what I've been learning from this is, again, these are not contradictory um, messages or practices. Um, they, uh, they're very much aligned, but where we have to be um, cautious and intentional is about really uh, situating that, right, within our faith and within our why. Um, and I think it's really important because, um, you know, what I have learned from this process, and I've always been a very kind of curious person. If, if someone tells me something is, you know, a banned book, I'm like going to go get that book because I'm really curious about what's in it. Um, but I think what I've learned in this process is we don't necessarily have to fear a lot of these things that we are exposed to in the world or that our kids are exposed to in schools, right? Um, mindfulness is in probably most of your kids' schools if you have, you know, kids in school right now. Um, and part of the reason is because there has been really strong research to show the mental health benefits, right? And, um, and I know a lot of people can be, again, kind of fearful of like, well, what are my kids being taught and introduced to, right? And so I would say rather than us um, being really fearful of those things, I think it can be really helpful for us to approach with kind of curiosity, right? Well, what is that, what is that for? What does that mean, right? And also, how can we understand that within our faith um, and within our understanding um, of God? Um, and I think we can find parallels to this in so many traditions in the church, right? F fasting, for example. I mean, how much research now is out there about intermittent fasting and plant-based diets, right, in terms of being good for our health? And again, our church and our faith has been doing this since the beginning, right? And so, um, and so again, really understanding that our capacity for science and our capacity to use science to understand some of these mysteries in our world um, was actually a gift from God, right? He, he gave us that capacity. And it's because in his wisdom, he knew that us, you know, meager humans needed to understand things in a different way. Right, and so we can really use this gift, I think, in a um, in a really powerful way. Right. 
All right, so, um, so I wanna share again, just like a few uh, very specific benefits um, or lessons or practices within mindfulness and meditation um, that I've learned that have really strengthened my own spiritual growth. And I say that with a disclaimer that I have nowhere near mastered any of this. Um, and I'm, I'm still learning, uh, but these have been helpful tools. Um, so I wanna start first with the mind. Um, so in mindfulness meditation practices, um, there is a really big focus on tolerating uncomfortable and painful emotions, right? And so there's like a training process within meditation practice that we sit with discomfort and we tolerate it and we honor it and we befriend it, right? Um, as opposed to fighting it and resisting it all the time. And that's a part of that kind of training, training process, right? Um, and um, also understanding that our thoughts and our feelings um, are not us, that we are not our thoughts and our feelings. So really learning about the nature of the mind. Um, when I first started meditating, um, I mean, it's probably been almost 15 years ago, um, I learned so much about my own mind, more than I wanted to know. So, um, testing. Hello. Um, I learned more about my mind than I wanted to know because what happens is you have to sit there and you have to pay attention to your thoughts. And when you pay attention to your thoughts, <laughs> a lot of things come up that maybe you don't want to see, right? Um, and again, part of that is getting to know our minds, getting to know our thoughts, right? Are we just letting those thoughts operate in our, in our brains without understanding them and letting them sort of influence us without us realizing, or are we aware of those thoughts, right? Um, and also understanding that thoughts and feelings are fleeting, right? They're fleeting. They're not who we are, right? Who we are. Yes? <laughs> um, uh, yes. Um, our thoughts and feelings are in the shallow, but what is really deep in there? right? It's, it's not our thoughts and feelings. It's our true self, again, which is the image and likeness of Christ, and that's where we're trying to get to, right? Practicing non-judgment, uh, focus and attention, right? When you sit there and meditate and you're trying to focus on your breath, your mind is going to keep leaving your breath, and your task is to keep bringing it back gently without judgment. Oh, there it goes again. Just come back, right? And so again, if you th apply this practice to prayer, right, this is a training that's happening. And you might sit in a 10-minute meditation session, and you'll have to bring your attention back 100 times, right? But that's part of the process. That's the training. Every time we do that, it strengthens. Um, and again, practicing these virtues of compassion, gratitude, um, love, non-judgment, all of these things. And then we move into the, into the body, right? Um, a lot of meditations are movement-based, right? One of the things we really have to understand is that, um, you know, so many people have experienced trauma in their lives, maybe have, are affected by generational trauma in their lives, and trauma sort of lives in our body. A lot of trauma um, psychologists and therapists now are really 
um, uh, discovering how, how deeply trauma can live in our bodies, right? And when we don't address that trauma, whether it be through mindfulness or other things, then we run the risk of reenacting those behaviors that we're traumatizing on people around us, right? And so we really have to um, address those things as well. Um, mindful eating is another meditation practice, right? Which again, we can find many spir of our spiritual practices that help us with that. So with mindfulness practices, the mind-body connection is something that we talk about a lot, right? That's really what we're talking about, that mind-body connection. But what I want to argue is that um, the mind and body are limited, right? The mind and body can experience growth in this lifetime. We can do all the things we can to get smarter, to, you know, manage our emotions, to strengthen our bodies, right? But our earthly minds and bodies are very limited. And so this is where I argue that we can um, expand on this knowledge of mindfulness into the spirit, right? So it's the mind, body, and spirit connection. So this is like an infinity uh, symbol. Um, so again, understanding that the, the spirit is, is forever, right? Um, and again, our why in that spirit is again, is the kingdom of heaven, which we have heard many times now in different talks, starts now, right? It's, it's here in the now, and we can access the kingdom of heaven now, and, um, but some of it is about learning how to tame our passions, right, our mind and body in ways that we can access. We can be present with God, because when we can be present with God is, is, that, is that spirit connection piece, and that's really the goal, right? Um, so it's about what we fill it with. So um, I found a couple of, uh, of quotes from the Desert Fathers that I think, for me, uh, they're talking about prayer, mindful prayer, right? And so again, thinking about this is how you pray continuously. Prayer does not have to be limited to liturgies or when you're praying, you know, right before bed or when you're praying in the morning, right? With the right type of you know, training ourselves, right, in, in learning how to be present, prayer is continuous. We can learn how to just be present with God in every moment of our lives, right? And I haven't found a better, um, you know, psychological tool um, to help us access that in a, in a really deep way, right? And then I loved this um, quote by St. Ephraim, um, the virtues are formed by prayer, prayer perseveres, temperance, Prayer sur suppresses anger, prevents pride and envy. Um, it, it, it's sort of like a summary of a lot of those like research findings, right? But from a Desert Father from many years ago, um, sort of uh, prophesizing that. So um, to just sort of end us off, I wanted to share a very common um, mindfulness breathing practice. This is something I use all the time. I, we've taught our kids this. We go through with our kids. It's called square breathing. And this actually was the perfect image that I found because it's an empty box, right? And the instructions for this are very simple. So you breathe in for four seconds. You hold your breath for four seconds. You breathe out for four seconds and then you hold for four seconds. And that can really help to sort of regulate your emotions if you're feeling anger, if you need to settle down your nervous system, it can be really powerful for that. But again, I wanna point you to the fact that this is an empty box, right? And so it, 
is up to us what we want to fill that box with, right? And so I'm sure not ironically, but the Jesus prayer, the shortened Jesus prayer, is almost exactly four seconds, right? And so this is just an example of how we can adapt these practices to turn them into a really simple prayer that we can access anywhere. Um, so uh, if you're interested, I'll invite you to try this a couple of times. If you want to breathe in for four with the Jesus prayer, hold for four with the Jesus prayer, out for four with the Jesus prayer, and then hold for four, um, and then we can end a pray. Or this can be our ending prayer, because it is a prayer. So if, you, if you're interested in trying out, please feel free to do so. Um, I like to settle myself, uh, feel kind of where I'm sitting, get my attention to my body, close your eyes if that's helpful for you. Or take a picture and try it later. All right. So thank you for listening. Um, I, if anybody has any questions or comments, so we're wrapping up. Feel good. All right. Okay, we can stand up and pray. Here, so Lord, when we pray to you with all gratitude and thanksgiving, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one in Christ Jesus our Lord. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.